This is the Data Privacy Detective. Today, we're going to talk about 5G and what it means for our privacy. And with us is Sohan Dasgupta. Sohan, thank you so much for joining today from your office in Washington, D.C. Thank you for having me, Joe. I'm very grateful to be here and honored to join the firm in the D.C. office and very excited about participating in this podcast with you today. Sohan, you're the former Deputy General Counsel of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. You were also Special Counsel to the U.S. Department of Education. You're an attorney by background with uh, probably one of the few people who have a graduate degree, both from Oxford and Cambridge. And you lecture globally about national security and other matters. I know recently you've been talking before the parliaments in Hungary and Guatemala and Romania. And now you're an attorney with Frost Brown Todd. So uh, th- thanks for being our tour guide today about 5G. Now, now 5G, let's, uh, for our listeners, 5G really doesn't mean anything other than fifth generation. This is the fifth generation of mobile networking. And uh, it has to do with an enormous increase in speed, uh, much faster than 4G. And, and, and this should improve the quality and immediacy of our use of smartphones and other mobile technology. All great news. But Sohan, we're going to talk about what, what does it mean for our data privacy and for our own privacy. And let me start with the word latency. Uh, Sohan, what is latency and why is that important to understanding 5G? Well, thank you again for the, for the kind words and the introduction, uh, Joe. I'm very grateful to you. So latency um, is uh, basically the delay between the transmittal of data and its execution. Um, latency means uh, refers to the time it takes between, um, uh, between the command being given and the execution happening. So in certain cultures, there's a moniker called tube light. And tube light tube refers light. to okay. tube light, tube light, and tube light basically refers to how long it takes for someone to process some kind of information and execute that command. That's essentially what latency is. And it's regarded as the most vital metric under 5G, as well as um, its earlier iterations, 3G, 4G, so on and so forth. Because with 4G networks, for example, the latency is just under 100 milliseconds, whereas under 5G, that could fall to less than five milliseconds. So you, can, you can imagine how much faster the processing of um, uh, an execution of technological commands will happen. And uh, in the eyes of many people in the, in the technology space, the 4G to 5G pace of acceleration will be titanic. Now, 5G is expected to improve the bandwidth capacity and reliability of wireless broadband services. Its long run objective is to meet increasing data and communication requirements and uh, uh, including the capacity for tens of billions of connected devices that will, that will constitute the internet of things. And ultra low latency is required for critical time sensitive and speedy communications and faster speeds to support emerging technologies. So right, well, you mentioned um, this, uh, the Internet of Things now, which is uh, at the edge uh, of it is uh, is data infrastructure. Now they're together in virtual real time. So your uh, your Fitbit 
is is broadcasting uh, health data and it's just doing it yes. in virtual real time. It could be with your doctor or hospital or somebody you don't want to have it. That's just one example. Or you're in yeah. your automobile and you're moving along and you're you know, 65 miles an hour is not good enough and you start going 80 and, and suddenly that's immediately transmitted as data. I mean, this is what we're talking about. A very different world, uh, isn't it? Absolutely. And the impact will be enormous. Uh, the economic impact would be significant as well. Its indirect effects are expected to add about one $1 trillion to $1.2 trillion just to the US GDP, as well as generate 3 million to 3.6 million additional jobs over the next de decade. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the significance and impact of, uh, of latency alone as one of the 5G um, uh, features and characteristics is expected to be um, titanic and uh, enduring. Yeah, for example, you were walking down the, the aisle of your favorite grocery store and I, pretty easy now if you're all hooked up. Uh, they'll say, by the way, there's a, uh, you, you know, your favorite brand's on sale down there. Here's a coupon you can get. You know, all these things, it just is terrific, mm -hmm. isn't it? But now, what are some of the risks, Sohan, of, of 5G being ubiquitous? Yes, uh, the, the risks are, uh, you know, manifold. To start with, the uh, use of 5G components manufactured by untrusted companies like you know, the United States government has seen it fit to name various Chinese 5G technology space actors and entities uh, to be such to be such um, untrusted companies. Uh, they could expose certain entities risks introduced by malicious software, malware as it's commonly known, um, uh, and, and malicious hardware counterfeit components, component flaws that derive from deficient manufacturing and maintenance processes, and data that travels overseas through untrustworthy networks might also be compromised. Another risk is that 5G is going to use more parts, more components than previous generations of wireless networks have done. Um, and the implication of this is that the proliferation of 5G infrastructure may well provide and is expected to provide malicious actors sinister actors with more attack vectors and a greater number and volume of vulnerabilities. So it's sort Another of an arms factor. race in the, in the tech space. Arms it's race. not just the Chinese government. It's uh, ransomware hackers from Russia or wherever they may be, or, or just uh, malware uh, providers, uh, bad actors. Other Indeed. governments who have, from their perspective, uh, legitimate reasons to be snooping on Americans. But from our point of view as uh, U.S. people, uh, not things we would, we would want. Well, how, how can these risks, the risk side of 5G, be mitigated? And, and uh, you know, there might be new vulnerabilities. Untrusted companies might be less willing to take part in interoperability efforts. And then there's a national security angle to it as well. Yes, because indeed. the military and sensitive aspects of the national security apparatus may well be compromised. And, you know, we'll get into that later with CFIUS. But um, uh, some of the ways to mitigate the risk are continuing engagement with the private sector on mitigating actively mitigating such, such risks, monitoring uh, which uh, sinister entities there are uh, in order to um, identifying, in, a, in order to identify them and uh, to preclude them from, um, from hampering our technological infrastructure, uh, the grid as it's known, encouraging continued development of trusted, trusted 
uh, 5G technology services products, as well as future generations of communications technologies. 5G is not going to be the end. There's going to be 6G, 7G, and so on. Promoting international standards and processes that are open, transparent, effective, and equitable to tr trusted companies. Uh, limiting or at least managing the adoption of 5G equipment with potential vulnerabilities, as we have alluded to them and ensuring robust security capabilities for 5G applications and services, making wireless services more accessible by expanding 5G's reach, something that I know that many members um, of the Federal Communications Commission are indeed working on, and there's been a significant amount of impetus from, from uh, the Hill. And finally, incentivizing robust domestic production of semiconductors, advanced microelectronics, uh, related technologies so that we are not limited to certain uh, exclusive sources of supply. And that's not just domestic production, but it's also nearshoring to perhaps Central America and other parts of the world. And all of that, um, is, uh, uh, that, that entire compass and composite of, um, of uh, mitigation strategies, they attend the tactical advantage, technological independence, and hopefully enhance security and prosperity for the free world. Yes, indeed. And, and uh, you've mentioned the, the grid, for example. So what, what are some of the other major technological spaces that FG yes. will affect, both for good and bad, as you put it? And, uh, you know, what are some of the spaces we really have to concentrate on? Absolutely. Um, and uh, some of the spaces are information technology manu and manufacturing. They're expected to be two of the highest contributors to the um, US GDP in the, because of the impact of 5G. 5G is also expected to lead to a vast array of critical services from autonomous systems, including vehicles, um, so, the, so the car industry, remote surgery, so the medical industry and uh, pharmaceutical industry and the biotechnology space, remote monitoring, telemedicine, to helping build smart city features such as traffic signals and water supplies. So the entire um, pub public service um, sector will be affected. Automated manufacturing and technological advances in that space to enhance transportation endeavors, all of that are uh, expected to be affected. The largest immediate gains, Joe, from 5G, 5G will go into the information technology, as I mentioned already, yes. construction and manufacturing sectors of the economy. Um, and, you know, for the as far as the Internet of Things is concerned, um, connected vehicles, smart city, industry 4.0, they are believed to have the potential to uh, be extraordinarily transformative for industries and drive um, competitive advantage into the, into the next uh, decade. Right, and the and good beyond. side will affect improve efficiency and uh, the economy, as you've mentioned, many other things, and so we'll have to beef yes, up sir. the defense side in all these areas. Well, let's let's talk national security for a bit from a U.S. perspective. What 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 can the U.S. government do to respond to the risks of of five five G? You've mentioned China. We won't pick on China, but certainly it's a very different country with a very different view of how to how information about people should should be accessed by government and used by it uh, from a Chinese perspective for its own reasons but very different from how we view it. So how can the U.S. government respond to this? So the U.S. government through the uh, Department of the Treasury, um, they have uh, what, what's called the Office of Foreign Asset Control. Uh, oh, and fact. they 
OFAC, right. OFAC, and OFAC is intimately involved with the process of sanctions, issuing sanctions. It's it's really an intelligence community-wide enterprise, but uh, much of it is reposed in and led by OFAC. And so with regard to sanctions, they're greatly interested in tracking the artificial intelligence, 5G, semiconductor-related enterprises about biotechnology software and uh, other issues. The White House has been intimately involved with issuing executive orders, preventing U.S. persons from purchasing and selling publicly traded securities and what, what are called CMICs, that's Chinese military industrial complex companies, 59 of them. Huawei, Aerosan, Avic, Inspur, Proven Glory, China Mobile, CoStar, and so on and so forth. Major um, companies, major companies, yeah. Major companies, major companies in that uh, in that part of the world and uh, in that overall space. Uh, then you have you've got the Department of Commerce, Joe, uh, which has the Bureau of Industry and uh, Security. And there they we're are, talking export controls, right? They're talking we're talking export controls where they are implementing multilateral agreements. Um, there's one that involves about forty plus nations and the European Union. Um, to uh, control certain software that could be abused for biological weapons purposes. And, and their um, main end game, if you will, is to coordinate and maintain export controls on a list of equipment, software, and technology, among other, um, among other things that could be used in um, chemical or biological weapon programs. Um, and also, in addition to, uh, in addition to this, we have um, the Secure Equipment Act. Now, the Secure Equipment Act is very interesting because starting in the middle of uh, 2020, the Federal Communications Commission um, issued orders designating Huawei and ZTE as national security threats and prohibited the use of uh, universal service funds to buy communication equip- communications equipment and services from Huawei and ZTE, as well as other high-risk suppliers. Uh, That said, the Secure Equipment Act, which was enacted last year, uh, actually uh, suggests an enduring U.S. government strategy to restrict the domestic use of technology produced by Huawei, ZTE, and certain Chinese security camera companies, and it enlists the FCC's help in doing so. Now, this law requires the FCC to clarify that it will no longer review or approve any authorization for equipment on that covered list. And this all, this obviously includes the Chinese telecommunications and security camera companies. And some of those companies, it should come as no great surprise to you, are uh, Huawei, ZTE, Hytra, Communications Corporation, Hangzhou, Hikvision, uh, and Dawa. And, uh, you know, FCC is also permitted to retroactively revoke authorizations previously granted to equipment on the on the covered list. This will work both ways. It, 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 it's kind of a way for the U.S. government to prevent mm-hmm. very proprietary and important uh, technology being shared with these Chinese companies you're listing, but also vice versa. The use of, of these companies' offerings uh, can be restricted. So it's a two-way street, right? Absolutely, sir. You are you are um, uh, entirely correct that it's a two-way street, um, and um, it uh, you know th- this 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 will have that kind of um, bilateral and transformative impact. You mentioned earlier CFIUS, CFIUS, yes, and what yeah. what is that, and, and what what role does yeah. it play with five G? 
uh, so CFIUS is, um, uh, you know, it's an interagency working group of the U.S. government that determines whether a wide variety of proposed transactions involving foreign entities wishing to acquire parts of U.S. businesses poses um, adequate national security risk to be stopped uh, or uh, to have mitigation measures imposed on them, imposed on them in order to um, abate uh, or ameliorate the risk situation. And, and they could the actually current, stop uh, with the president's action, a, a merger yes. or a purchase by a foreign company of a U.S. company. The president of the United States is allowed to block it. You know, there's some question as to whether there is any judicial review uh, of, uh, of the president's action. The, the current prevailing view in the um, D.C. Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, is that the substantive determination that the president makes is not, is not susceptible uh, of judicial review. But uh, there is some amount of due process to be um, observed in ensuring that the president has considered the appropriate factors. So, you know, notice an opportunity to be heard and other elements of due process that, uh, that, uh, um, that, are, that are in play. Now, Cepheus is a process, you know, so there is, uh, there's thought involved and processes involved, and we'll, we'll see how the courts deal with it. But in general, would you agree the, the courts are very reluctant to, uh, to invade the president, the executive's authority to decide what's in the national security interest of the United States? That's exactly right, Joe, because of, um, you know, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 1, the, the Executive Vesting Clause, commits the entirety of the executive power of the United States to the president. And, uh, of course, there are certain carve-outs, what, what, what um, yes. um, leaving, yeah, such as declaration of war, and so, on. and so on and so forth. Uh, but overall, this belongs to the president. And, and some have believed that even the commander-in-chief powers and so on, they, they all um, uh, militate in favor of um, deference to the executive uh, with regard to national security. Uh, so courts are both in theory and in practice very reluctant to wade into that. Now, but returning to CFIUS a little bit, before a, 19, uh, before a 2018 statute called the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act of 2018 was enacted, FIRMA, as, 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 as it's called, CFIUS's jurisdiction has, was limited to transactions that could result in foreign control of any U.S. business. Now, FIRMA and these uh, particular regulations have conferred additional authority on CFIUS to review and, in fact, participate in blocking two new categories of transactions. One is certain non-controlling investments in uh, U.S. businesses involved with critical technology, critical infrastructure or sensitive personal data, what's called TID US businesses for technology, infrastructure and data. And the second category is certain real estate transactions. Um, and um, you know, from the critical technology perspective, that would include certain nuclear related software, tech, technological facilities, equipment, parts, components, emerging and foundational technologies, defense articles, defense services um, on the US munitions list, um, various other uh, factors like very, other industries like aircraft engine and engineer, engine parts manufacturing, computer storage, 
electronic computer manufacturing, nanotechnology, biotechnology, petro uh, petrochemical manufacturing, television broadcasting, and so on and so forth, as well as semiconductor and related device manufacturing, aeronautical, nautical system manufacturing, uh, and, and uh, along those lines. For critical infrastructure, we're talking about telecommunications, power, oil and gas, so the energy sector, finance, defense, industrial base, um, rail lines that are part of the Pentagon's um, strategic rail corridor network. And as far as finally, the sensitive data is concerned, identifiable data, there's about 10 categories, uh, including financial data, consumer data, health, geolocation data, biometric enrollment, and critically, uh, Joe, data contained in an individual's application for US government personnel security clearance status. So all the uh, TSSCI information, um, that's top secret um, information. Um, and um, the, all, all of that data is uh, subject to uh, pharma and therefore CFIUS, uh, CFIUS's review and, and, and data. And to the extent that 5G intersects with that data, um, all of this will be uh, profoundly implicated and vendors, vendors working in that data and vendors trying to um, uh, engage in some kind of an act you know, some kind of a business arrangement, um, an acquisition, a merger, whatever, with uh, with a foreign entity, um, will be uh, should take heed of uh, of that of that concept. Right, and as uh, data increasingly uh, moves, both by speed and by volume, uh, it, it's not just the critical infrastructure. It's things like TikTok. Uh, President Trump had issued an order that that uh, TikTok uh, shouldn't give the Chinese government access to uh, US users of TikTok. Uh, the court set that aside for First Amendment reasons, but, but it's, it's back in the hopper into the Biden administration. And the uh, US military, for example, isn't supposed to use TikTok. Just, it's an example of how something you wouldn't think, just uh, you know, videos of cats and dogs doing strange things, would have any uh, national security implication, but it does. So we're in a different world. But let's close with this, uh, Sohan, for each of us. We have to give our, for our own individual privacy, there are things we can do. We, we can. Uh, check our privacy settings more carefully. We, we can decide when GPS will really be on or off uh, as we're uh, changing location there. Things like that we can do. Uh, what top tips do you have in closing uh, for individuals about 5G? I think that protecting one's data privacy is very important. Appreciating, reading the fine print and appreciating which equipment provider something is coming from is uh, very important, particularly as you look at certain industries like information technology, manufacturing, healthcare, agriculture, places that use cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, artificial intelligence more prevalently than others. Taking those kinds of security risks, whether you're an individual, whether you're a company, and working with the appropriate government agencies or contractors in that regard to mitigate the risk would be greatly desirable. Extremely important. Well, so on, thank you so much for taking us on a tour of TG. It certainly will have wonderful aspects to it. But like most things, there's a dark side and there's protection to be had. Thank you for joining us today, so on. As always, I'll close by reminding us at all, protecting your personal data begins with you.